If you have your Bibles, if you could take them and turn to Philippians chapter 4. If you picked up one of the Bibles in the back, I think it'll be page 678 is where we will be this morning. In our time together, we've, we've called this series Better Together. And I think uh, so much of Philippians kind of threads that theme into our lives. And I'm, I've been grateful for a time to look at it with you. We are going to begin reading this morning in verse 10. I'm going to ask uh, David Manley to come. And he's going to be reading in verse 10 to the end of the chapter there of Philippians chapter 4. Let's hear from God's word. Morning, guys. Starting in verse 10. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble, and you, Philippians, yourselves, know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia... No church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving, except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Thank you, David. There have been certain times in life when I've felt, felt some of, uh, I guess, just nerves in the complexities of initiating a conversation. So one of those probably was, I don't know, 17, 18 years ago when I was initiating a conversation to Shauna's dad because I was interested in marrying her. And I remember, like, I'm... I'm fairly confident? I did not feel fairly confident on that day. I was feeling like you want to say the right thing, you certainly don't want to say anything stupid. Uh, and I wanted to like, say, I-, I want to care for your daughter and want to say that in a good, good way. I remember uh, a lot of conversations were easier than that one. I-, I-, I also know there are other times where I've gone to uh, interview for a job and those, are, those get a little bit tricky too. So you, want, you certainly want to project confidence. But then you get the question like, what do you think your biggest weakness is? Like, well, how do I answer that one? You know, how, how, do you really want to know? Do you really want to know? Is my, is my job hinging on how I answer this? And you want to you like, appear confident, like I, I can do this job. At the same time, you want to be humble. You want to give like realistic expectations. You don't want to... Overpromise and then underdeliver. So, I mean, these, these are not easy conversations to navigate. Another one of those conversations that can be a little bit tricky, uh, actually, several conversations relate to money. 
So assuming someone gives you a, a big gift, and they didn't have to, but they wanted to, and they did, and you needed it, and they give you a big gift. And you, and you want to say thanks for that, but you also don't want to say thanks in such a way where they feel like you would like, feel they're totally obligated to do this again. Like, I really needed it. Thank you. I really needed it. Came just at the right time, and, you know, I, I'm just thinking about ahead. But I, I really appreciate what you gave me just now. It meant a lot. I mean, you want to be careful about that. You want to communicate the right kinds of things. And... and there's another element of this conversation that gets a little bit complicated, and that is when it comes to church and pastors and money and giving. So we all know, if you've watched any sort of religious broadcasting, you all know some of the, some of the bad examples, some of the horrible examples of what happens when pastors talk about church and money and it gets complicated and it gets strange. I am grateful to know even Paul felt some of the challenges of talking about such a thing. So interesting, in the passage that David just read, Paul has all sorts of disclaimers, and he says, actually, in fact, but still, I want you, don't get me wrong, I don't, but it still is helpful. And he, he seems to not be quite as clear and seems to give lots of disclaimers for this thank you to the Philippians for their gift to him. I think it's instructive to me as he approaches it with caution. Yet, I think we have to talk about we have to think about what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ and how that has impact on our possessions. I'm not sure we can talk about full discipleship if we don't talk about what we do with what God's given to us. I'm not sure we can talk about what it means to be a church family together, partnered in mission for God, without talking about what do we do with what God's given to us. And so Paul helpfully and skillfully walks us through he, he mentions this thing in verse 15. He mentions this theme of giving and receiving. Giving and receiving. And I'd like that to be uh, inform our time today. I, I want us to look at what it means to give and what it means to receive. But you see in verse 20, there's another element to that that I also want to combine and kind of mix in is how can we glorify God in what we give? So Paul's going to kind of walk us through that. And how can we glorify God in what we receive? How can we give glory to God by what we give, and how can we glorify God in the way we receive? I think there will be some words that are helpful to us, and, and I would imagine as we talk about the subject of receiving, I know for a fact there are several of us that can re relate to this pretty immediately. So anyone here who is on church staff understands what it means to live off of what other people give. So so I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful for the way God provides the needs of our family. And I know all the staff is as well. We're able to devote time to study and to pray and to care and to care for the overall health of this church because you give. And I'm grateful for that. We, we receive. So what does this have to say to us? And we also have missionaries in our congregation that do God's work and they do it with the support of God's people. God's people give generously. Churches give generously. And if they don't give, then, then missionaries who are called all over the world, they wouldn't be able to go. And so they receive. There are those who've received from the church's benevolence fund. So I'm grateful for this. A lot of times when we have a fifth Sunday, we'll receive an offering. And in that offering, we'll, we will collect money that is then dispersed to people in need in our congregation. And people connected to our congregation. 
And maybe you've been one of those who have received help from your brothers and sisters in Christ at a particularly difficult time. It was an honor to give and you've, you felt God's grace in receiving. So, I mean, there, there are ways in which we can relate to Paul in receiving, but maybe you say, I don't know that I fit into any of those categories. I still think we can learn to glorify God in our receiving because actually all of us are recipients. Paul would say it this way, what do you have that you didn't receive? In 1 Corinthians 4, what do you have that you didn't receive? I think it would be the only, only the most arrogant person who could somehow look at their life and go, the only factor in all this is me. There weren't any friends. There weren't any family members. There was never a coach. There was never a teacher. There was never anybody. It's all about me. Everything that I've achieved, it's all about me. No, I think we recognize there's been a lot of of giving to us and we're the recipients of those things. All of us know we have received. So as we receive, what does glorifying God in receiving God's grace, what does that look like? Can we start with We're going to look at several different words that I think encapsulate some ideas here, but one of those words is provision. So when we think about the subject of receiving, I think Paul would have us think in terms of provision, particularly God providing for us. It's interesting in verse 10 of Philippians 4, he begins this passage by saying, I rejoiced in the Lord because you revived your concern for me. He doesn't say, I rejoiced in you. He says, I rejoiced in the Lord because you gave to me. Why doesn't he just thank them directly? Why is it an indirect thanks? Because he realizes at the source of everything is God giving things to him. He says, I don't have to speak of being in need because God is going to provide for my needs. So as he looks upward, he glorifies God in saying, you provide for what I need. I don't have to seek gifts because I'm well supplied. We should see our ultimate provider as the Lord So much so that I think Paul would say, even if the Philippians hadn't provided, God would still have provided another way. Because God takes care of his people. He doesn't keep things back when they would be good for our growth. He knows what we need before we even ask it. He is the one making sure we aren't forsaken. He is the one making sure we have exactly what we need. Not always what we want always what we need. This is a good God who provides for his people. And so Paul, in receiving from the Philippians, he knows he's receiving ultimately from the Lord. One of the reasons we might even take a moment, many of you have this rhythm, before you eat food, or or I, I know of some people who, after they get done eating, they take a moment and thank God. They thank God for what what he's given. They thank God for food that they have to eat. It's just a small way of reminding yourself, if God doesn't provide, I don't eat. And surely you say, well, actually my hard-earned money paid for that food. And I... But then how, how did you get strength to make that hard-earned money? And you're breathing air, and that's God's air. Everything we have is owed to the Lord. And the sooner we come to that conclusion that he's providing for us, the sooner we recognize I I can thank him, I can see him as my provider. Maybe a right course of action this afternoon is to take a look around everything you see that God's put into your life 
And maybe it's not as much as you'd like. And maybe at one point you had more than you have now. But begin taking inventory of everything you have and realize God gave me this. God provided this. God provided this. And now it's decades that God's provided for me. It's not always easy, but God's always provided. Do we have that sort of perspective? See, how can we glorify God in our receiving? We can say to our God and Father, be glory forever and ever. Amen. Because we look at him as our provider. And yet, as we look upward, we also, something happens inward. Something happens in our soul. And that is, can we just put this label on it? Contentment. As we see God providing for us, we have contentment. There's a real question that I think we as Christians should pursue. And that is, can my heart be settled with what I have? Can my heart be satisfied with what I have? If I were to get nothing else, can my heart be satisfied? Can my heart be settled? And you hear from You hear from Paul saying, yes, it can be settled. He says, not that I'm speaking of being in need because I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low in verse 12. I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Can my heart be content? Can it be settled and satisfied with what I have? Or will I always require something more, something else, something different, something better? better to be satisfied. I could be content, Curtis, if I just had this, if this situation would go better. If I could just have more of this, if I could have less of that. And you hear from Paul how God has worked in his heart to bring him to a place of contentment. Each and every situation, he says, I've learned to be content. This is no, like, please don't get the wrong tone of what Paul's saying. He is not a defeatist. He's not saying, well, it is what it is. Just make the most of it. He's not cynical. He's not pessimistic. That's not the tone. You don't get that from here. You don't get the tone like, my, my life stinks. It's awful. What you, what you see is he has this grasp and there is a There's a sense of sufficiency. I have what I need, but it's not self-sufficiency. It's sufficiency in Christ. I know Christ has everything I need. And I know I can do all things through him because he is infusing me with strength. I don't lack anything. He said this did not come natural. This wasn't like the default setting where he was hardwired to just be content. He said this is something I've had to learn. I've had to learn to be content. Because it doesn't always come natural. What comes natural is I see an advertisement. I think I need one of those and I need one of those and life would be better with that and life sure could be better with that. And I I begin to think if I didn't have that, then, then it would be better. And if I didn't have that, if I could have that. And Paul said, I've learned a secret. It's almost like it's an initiation right into this club, only it's not at this secret club. It's actually into contentment. I've learned this. I know how to be brought low. I know how to have hunger. I know, I know what it means to have need. What is he saying? He's saying, I know, what it, I know what it is to live life in a fallen world. Where I don't get everything that I, I had wanted, I'd wish for. I feel like I, I might need. I, I know what it's like. I know what it's like to live life at the hand of a good God who knows what we need. This isn't easy. I would imagine even as Paul is writing this, he's not writing this from some... St- 
you know, multi-million dollar home on the Mediterranean. He's in a prison. This is not easy for Paul. I don't think his life plan, his five-year, ten-year plan had, let me just get locked up for a while and just write letters to churches. That'd be a good idea. I don't think that's how it went. I think he felt it just as you would feel it, just as I would feel it. Wondering what is going on. He had ambition to take the gospel to Spain. Hard to do that when you're in prison. But still, what he had learned is that God could work through that. He was content. He not only knew how to be brought low and have hunger and need, he also knew how to abound and face plenty. And sometimes we, like, we would much prefer that test, right? The test of having too much, having a lot. But Paul recognized even that, that is, a, that is a significant test at the hand of a good God because when we have a lot, when we abound, when everything seems to be working well, will this end up driving me away from God where I might rely more on my own strength and my own capacities? And the fact is, you can even abound and still think, I think I want a little more. So you, you get to a certain income bracket and you realize, oh, other people had toys and hobbies I had never dreamed of because I didn't have the money to dream of them. But now, maybe, maybe I need that. Maybe I need two of those. And Paul said, I know what it's like to have lots of things going well. I know what it's like when they are all gone. And I've learned to be content in Christ. I think we need to think through this even kind of with a wide-angle lens. We've certainly talked about material possessions, but I think even relationally sometimes, sometimes we just seem to have an abundance of friendships, tight relationships, people that care for us. Maybe your house is full and everything seems to be going well. Like you couldn't ask for more. Because you'll go home to a full house and lots of, lots of things or, or a good friend or even afterwards you're going to eat with people that care about you and you care about them and, and your heart's full because of lots of relationships. And then, and then it seems like even overnight sometimes you can switch into a mode where you don't have anybody that's really looking after you. You seem you go home to an, an empty house. You deal more with loneliness than like all these friends that you had at one point in time and you begin to feel like, how can I be content here? And God is at work even in those moments teaching us. I think whether it's a a season of abundance or a season of need, of lack, of hunger, let me just kind of off-road for a moment and say to the church family, I hope Ogletown will always be a place where there are people that are abounding and people that are in need. I think we're stronger as a church family. If we're not just made up of the people who have everything together, life always seems to go well, and we, and we all feel like winners and not losers. I think, I think we grow stronger when we recognize side by side we may stand and sing, and, and one person may have an abundance and one person may have a need, and we both sing out, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. And we sing it together because we recognize if those tables turn and and I have little and and someone else has much, if, if it all seems to swap, we can still sing the same because we know Christ is looking out for us because God will provide the subject of contentment. Paul says, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. That, that, Likely for many of us is not a new verse, a new thought. Philippians 4.13. For so many people, it's a life verse. It's a good one. But I think sometimes it's become just like a, a, a magical verse. 
I mean, we, we, we barely stopped short of saying, you know, I could flap my arms and fly to the moon through Christ who gives me strength. And we do silly things with this verse. Win football games through Christ and I can, I can win a million dollars through Christ. To, you know, we, we begin to play with this verse. And we take it out of a context it originally sat in. And where it sat in was this. There, there are times where we will have abundance and there are times we will have need. And we can still learn how to be content through Christ. We can do all things. We can handle the good times, the tough times through Christ who gives us the strength to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. As we're content, we see God's provision. We see contentment kind of bubbling up on the inside and then it pours out in gratitude to others. So Paul says it, verse 10, you have revived your concern for me. Verse 10, you indeed were concerned for me. Verse 14, it was kind of you to share my trouble. Verse 15, you entered into partnership with me. Verse 16, even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs. He recognizes the difference that these friends in Philippi have made for him. And I just want to ask a question, do we, do we see how others have been used by God to provide for what we need, spiritually and emotionally, physically? And if we do realize that, have we, have we, have we thought to give them thanks? Have we thought to say exactly what Paul said? For that person that has shown kindness when really no one else seemed to care, but they did. For the person that went out of their way to take care of you, to make sure your needs were met, have you, have you expressed thanks to them? For the person that is long-suffering and patient with you, no one else wants to listen to you complain, but that person hangs in there for you because they care about you. For the person that has been generous to you, for the person who's taught you, for the person who's been thoughtful toward you, Life is hard sometimes, and sometimes when we get in the pain of life, we begin to forget, like, oh yeah, other people have really been kind to me. We become so self-absorbed, we can't even see that anybody has been nice to us, anybody's been kind to us, anybody's provided for us. Maybe God would take those blinders down today, and we'd say, I have some people I need to text, and I have some people I need to call, and I have some people I need to write and tell them they have meant something to me. They have provided for me. God has been gracious to me through them. I'd say, don't let, don't let the sun go down tonight without expressing that if God's bringing people to your mind right now. Gratitude toward others. So this whole category of Paul talking about what it means to receive. But then there's this other category of giving. So Paul was the recipient and the church of Philippi were the givers. And I think when we give, one of the, one of the questions we have, and it's a, it's a reasonable question, is like, is my giving going to make any kind of a difference? Is the money that I'm going to allocate to, to love my neighbor to support God's work, is it going to make any kind of difference? And so we're, we're, it's helpful to think through this as Paul describes what it means that the Philippians gave. I think if we were to give a word there, we might start with this word, the word opportunity. We can see our giving as a real opportunity. That's exactly the word Paul used in verse 10. He says, I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern. You were concerned before, but you didn't have an opportunity, but now you do. Giving is an opportunity that presents itself to us. And if I understand Paul's words right, there are seasons where it is easier to give than others. There are seasons where it just seems like the door is wide open. There seems to be a, a season of opportunity to express our care. I don't think it's necessarily tied to how well our bank account's doing. 
Because actually, 2 Corinthians 8 says their bank account at this time was not doing well. They were impoverished and still took the opportunity to give. They cared. Opportunities to give, to share, to partner come because of sometimes we have time to to give attention to this. Sometimes we have a stage of life where we can have this opportunity to give where a previous stage we didn't really have that opportunity. We have income. We have relationships. We may have a position that God has given us that we could use that, leverage that position for the good of others. Sometimes we have a, an awareness. We, we didn't have an opportunity to give because we were just unaware, but God has given us information. Sometimes it comes through connections. We can ask, like, would God be leading me? Would God lead me to invest in his mission going around the world? Would God lead me to show love tangibly to someone? I think generally the answer to those questions is going to be yes. And then it becomes a matter of, well, how do I do that wisely? Where is God leading me specifically? So I get lots of emails directed to pastor, directed to Ogletown Baptist Church of great causes. It's just interesting this week as I was processing some of the emails I got because they weren't generic. They weren't from people I'd never heard of. They were from some very, very good friends. And I thought about the opportunities presented to me personally, even the opportunities presented to our church. There's opportunities to invest in students going on summer missions. And then I got uh, an email from a friend of mine that's getting ready to go to Europe to share the gospel in a place where there are very few believers then I got another, another request from a friend and he said, I'm going to Jordan to care for Syrian refugees and the Lord seems to open up a, a, a door for me to care and I don't know whether God would lead you to be in, invested in this way, but I just wanted to make you aware. I got another call from a friend that wanted me to be a prayer partner about a specific ministry that, that God is calling him to. And I just think, like, there are so many opportunities. Sometimes, and I know I probably get more than, more than average because of my position, but I, I recognize there are opportunities to just open up all the time, to be generous, to share with what we have, to invest in things. And what Paul wants to remind us is this is really an opportunity to do well. He says in verse 14, this was kind of you, Philippian church, to share in my troubles. If, if we took that literally in the English, it, it would not be great grammar. But he basically said, you did good. You did good by sharing. Because I was in trouble and you met my need. It's an opportunity to share and partner in the gospel in verse 15. He says, no one else, like at the beginning of the gospel in this area, nobody else partnered, but you did. I mean, this is a heartbeat of why we take a collection every Sunday, and, and some of it certainly pays for the staff, but the staff is given to equip us and to launch us into the community, and, and certainly we take care of the facilities. This is only for a place to gather so that we can go out from here and share the message of Christ. My desire is that we would continue to grow in giving, both individually and as a church, that we would partner with others sharing the gospel. We'd have an opportunity, as Paul says in verse 16, to supply people's needs. No guilt here. No arm twisting. No manipulation. No bait and switch. Paul's just saying, here's the opportunity. Use what God has given you and invest it for something significant. This is God's economy. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Does our giving matter? It does because we have opportunities. Does it matter to God? 
This passage reminds us that God looks at our giving when we take things that we could hang on to and we give them away generously. God looks at it as an offering. An offering. God is pleased with this. He's pleased with the gift. Verse 17, or verse 18, Paul says, I... I've received a full payment. I'm well supplied. I've received the gifts you've sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. That's Old Testament language when they would kill the animal and put it on the the altar and there would be this aroma going up to God and God would be pleased with the sacrifice. And in New Testament, we have this, that God is pleased when we take things that we could hang on to and we give them away. We share what we have. We take resources and we buy food and we have friends in our home because we want to share life with them. God is pleased by this. It's an offering to him. Paul even says, I, I, I'm not so much looking for the gift. I'm not looking for the money. I want fruit. I want profit to increase in your account. I want there to be this transfer. So sometimes we transfer money from the savings to the checking or to uh, a retirement account. And we take money and we move it around. And this is kind of the description Paul is giving. I want you to take this earthly account. I want you to take money that is earthly and it's real and it's tangible. And I want you to invest that and lay up treasures in heaven. Fruit that will far outlive time on this earth. I want you to be generous with what you have. Jesus would say, give, and it will be given to you. Pressed down, shaken together, running over. Paul would say in 2 Corinthians 9, God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you can abound in every good work. An offering to God, to our God and Father, be glory forever and ever. Amen. When we give of what we have. I'm so grateful for those who have given, even this year, by God's grace. I mean, Ogletown's doing as well financially because of the giving of people that we've done in a long, long time. I praise the Lord for the, there's the generous heart. I know we could keep what we have, but so many of you are being led to give and give faithfully and give generously and give sacrificially. I thank God for what we're able to do because you give. When you give, there is that lingering question though, but if, if I give, will I be taken care of? If I, if I give, like what if I give and like, what if I get strapped? And so Paul kind of closes his section on receiving and giving with a word of assurance. He says in Philippians 4.19, my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. What assurance. How, how much, like if the measure is the riches in glory and then all tied up in Christ Jesus. We don't have to hold on to things out of fear. We can release them. We can pray, God, give us wisdom. Because there's certainly more opportunities than we would ever be possible possibly able to meet. God, give me wisdom to know I can be free from the love of money and invest it into things that matter for a long, long time. God is glorified when we're assured he's going to meet our needs. He's going to provide our needs. We've come full circle to God as provider. When you walk through the book of Philippians, so many things impress us. And how much Paul cared for this church, how much this church cared for Paul. 
how much he desired for them not to just be like individual consumers, kind of get, get their church fix, but that they be together as a church family, invested together as partners. How he desired for them to press toward holy lives, not just living like the world, but living differently in their priorities and their values. How he had this central focus on what Christ had done, what Christ was doing and what Christ will do someday. How he gave warnings for them to think about the future as a church family. And the last few verses of Philippians sound a lot like how we might say goodbye even today. So he says this, greet every saint in Christ Jesus. I think this is his way of saying, I, I, can't, I can't list all of you, but every one of you matters. So greet every saint individually. The brothers who are with me, they want to greet you too. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, just like Paul. He always starts a book, a letter off with grace and ends it with grace. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with your spirit. Church, as we hear God's word to us, especially in this area of giving and receiving, I hope we realize again that we are better. We are better together. In a moment, we're going to end singing a prayer to the Lord, to the only one who can keep us from falling. Can we just take a moment and thank him for his grace? Father, we look at it and we see grace in giving. Otherwise, we, we would be, we'd be stingy misers. But you've motivated us. You've freed us to give. And Lord, we've seen there's grace in receiving. Because we see you providing every need that we have. Lord, I pray that we'd be faithful in this. That we would take what you've entrusted to us in an earthly capacity. And we would let spiritual dimensions and priorities drive that. I pray that we would be a congregation rich toward God, regardless of our economic status. Without you, we would not do any of this, so you are the only one who can keep us from falling. We pray that you would do that to bring glory to your son, Jesus Christ. We ask it all in his name. Amen.